parables, maybe take a break from that. And I want us to begin digging into Psalm 1. And I, I want to talk to you about living the life that God wants you to live. How to live the life, the kind of life that's a God-blessed life. But we want to do it and talk about it from a spiritual perspective, okay? Now, gang, often in scriptures, the writer uses contrasts to drive home their teaching. Psalm 1, which is the very foundational psalm, okay? It's a foundation to all the other psalms that come behind it is a psalm of contrast, okay? I think that Psalm 1 was the psalm Jesus used when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. I think that when he, God, uh, began to preach some uh, Sermon on the Mount, I believe in his head was, was Psalm 1, okay? Uh, David begins with the word blessed. Our Lord also begins with the word blessed. So he lays out for us what the blessed man is as opposed or against the wicked man, okay? And what he lays out to us, frankly, is probably not what you might think. It's not what we tend to think would be the blessed man, especially in this culture, of course, God's words never really cared what man thinks, right? This psalm contrasts the philosophy of this world, which is a dead philosophy, against the principles of the Word of God, which is alive and gives life to all who listen and obey. Okay, We want to think about the God-blessed man over the next two weeks, and let me kind of tell you what I want to do. I I want us to talk today, first of all, about the character of the man who is blessed, okay? We're going to talk about his character. At the end, I'm going to hopefully draw a net and help you understand what it means to be righteous in the eyes of God. Next week, we're going to get a little more practical. We're going to talk about the conduct of the man who is blessed. Now, beloved, who a person is is always seen in how a person lives. We, your orthodoxy which is what you believe, will always show itself in your orthopraxy. Your theology can be divorced from your practice of life, so what you believe will be shown in how you behave. And to behave right, first of all, we've got to believe right. And someone talks about believing right, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. If you have your Bibles Let's go to Psalm 1. Let's stand in honor of God's Word, and let's read the psalm together and see what God has for us, okay? Psalm 1, verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And because he does that, verse 3 tells us, he's going to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And this tree that's firmly planted by streams of water will yield fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Now here's the contrast. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly 
of the righteous. And I think the whole psalm is key to verse 6, which is where we're going to start. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, I, I pray that in these next few moments, you'll help me to share what I believe that you have laid on my heart. God, I, I know my, my head stopped up. I, I hope that as I get this out, it won't be stopped up into the ears of these dear people. Pray, God, that we'll be challenged with, what, with regard to what it truly means to be a blessed man. Be challenged with regard to what it means to be a, a righteous man. So help us today, God, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, like I said, I, I want us to concentrate. In fact, I want you to keep your Bible open, and I want you to kind of peer with me in verse 6, okay? The psalmist concludes with the word way. And he gives us two alternatives to life, which ultimately leads to two destinies in life, okay? I want to contrast the word and the idea of, of way, okay? The word way is a very common word in Scripture, in Old Testament especially, used in a very general sense. It's a word that I guess I want you to connect to this. It's a, it's a word which means a road that's traveled or perhaps a pathway that you walk along, or a course of your life, perhaps a manner of your life. Now, what was interesting to me as I studied the passage, I found out that the word way is a real old word. It's an old Semitic word, and if you were to dig back in the old Akkadian Uritic language, it's a word which means the power or the authority of life. It has to do with the riches of life, but not the riches as we would define them. And so the psalmist is saying this, God knows the authority of the righteous man's life, and God knows the authority of the wicked man's life. And then he says the wicked man's life will literally be lost. He will lose himself. He will become nothing. And I'm going to come back to that as I close out our message this morning. Okay? Now, if we're going to talk today about the character of a man, then I think it's, and if we're going to understand the psalm, then I think it's important that we define two terms. Okay? I think it's important, first of all, that we define and understand what the word blessed means in Scripture, not what the word blessed means in America. What the word blessed means means when David wrote the word, what it means in Scripture, and then what the word wicked means. He says, blessed is the man, and then he'll say, wicked, the wicked are not so. So let's talk about those two terms before we go back to verse 6, okay? The word blessed, if we were to describe a man who's blessed, our minds would immediately run to something tangible, in our culture, it would be something that, that we could describe through something that we can see, okay? Look at his, and you kind of fill in the blank, okay? It might be look at his house that he lives in or the house that he's built. Or perhaps look at the truck that he drives 
Or perhaps maybe the, the toys that he has, perhaps we might even say, well, look at his health or look at the unusual ability that he has. However, when David wrote this psalm, that's not how evaluations were made. When we say this man or that man is blessed, here's our definition. God's favor uh, is on this guy. Look at what he's got. To us, blessed is a vertical word, meaning that God has sent down his favor, and it's something that can be grasped, something that we can see, or something that we can buy, or something we have bought, or something perhaps that we played with, okay? Yet the writer that wrote this, David, who wrote this, never says things when he talks about the blessed man. In fact, if you'll just kind of look at verse 2, he says his delight, his blessing is in the word of God. And it is in the word that he chews on day and night. He wants us to know that the authority of his life is God's word because he chews on it. It's part of his life. It, 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 it has a, a, a major part of his life. When I, when I visit with couples and when people come to see me, when, when men come to see me, one of the things I always ask them, I said, well, where's the word of God in your life? How important is God's word? And you know, it's invariable. Anytime probably people are having problems, it's invariable that the word of God has very low significance in their life. And yet the blessed man chews on and meditates on God's word. It becomes his rule in his decisions and the directions that he takes. It's the foundation of his life's blessing. And the Bible says he who does that will be like a fruitful tree. He will have stability in his life. He will have vitality in his life. He will have productivity in his life. Thus, the blessed man is not described by what he has. He is described by who he is. This is his God character. In fact, the word blessed has more stress on how people look at the person and less stress on what all he has or what he's accumulated. When people look at him, they don't describe what he has. They describe the kind of person that he is. They describe his integrity. The scripture says he, at his life, he doesn't walk in certain ways. He doesn't sit in certain places. He doesn't stand in certain circles. The fruit of his life, is consistent with what God would say about a life. He's God's man, which is far greater than anything our culture would say or describe about him. He's a God-centered man in character. His view of God dictates his life, dictates his decisions, dictates his directions. This week, as I was studying the psalm, and, 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 and what I do when I study, I, I try to kind of get the idea that God has. I try to pull the skeleton together, and then I try to put a little meat on the skeleton. And then when I'm through, I never write on the same day I study. I, I try to give it time to maybe take over my life at least for 24 hours before I have to write it. And I was thinking about the blessed man, and I was thinking, oh, God, 
you know, we all struggle with things, and we all struggle with even paying our bills and, and all those things about life. But I said, God, you know, if, if I were to die, and they were to put a tombstone on my grave, I want him to say he was God's man. He had a God character about him. And men I, and people, I think the greatest blessing that could be said about you is not the houses that you live in or not the toys that you play with, but it's the kind of person you are. A blessed man is a man who shows his God character. And when people look at him, he sees God in him. Now, on the contrast, we have the wicked man. And I, here's where it kind of gets, to me, it was a little inter interesting. When we think wicked, we tend, like the word blessed, we tend to think in extremes. We think of a murderer, perhaps. The wicked man is a murderer, or perhaps a rapist, a thief, something along those lines. I mean, gosh, you look in the paper, and every week you find someone in the paper who was a fine, upstanding pillar of the community that embezzled, was involved in a Ponzi scheme, or there was an article in the paper this week, a, past, a Baptist pastor from Texarkana that got convicted of molesting a child. And so when we, we think of the word wicked, that's where our mind goes. And yet when the Bible describes the wicked, it describes simply those who leave God out of their daily lives. It's kind of like the, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So they don't think where the, the godly man thinks about God, where the godly man longs for God to direct him and, and he builds his decisions around. The wicked man simply leaves God out of his decisions and his directions. The word oftentimes in Scripture is simply said about him ungodly. And I want to tell you something that, that, that I found kind of interesting. This, this word does not mean a small percentage of men who destroy. It's talking about a large percentage of men who disregard God in life. Now think about that. A large percentage of men who simply don't have time for God in their life. They may be pretty good parents. They may be pretty good children. They may be great employees or, or bosses, friends, or neighbors. But there's a vacuum in their life. It is a God vacuum, and they just don't let God involved. They never ask, I wonder what God would think about this. They never ask, I wonder what God would want me to do about it. You see, where the blessed life has its root meaning in a manner of life that's pleasing and productive toward God. The word wicked refers to those who make trouble, whose life is lived in confusion and chaos. They're simply is no God in their life to make sense of their life. Let me give you a couple verses. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 and 20. Throw those up there if you would, guys. But the path of the righteous 
is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness, the Bible says. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. And then there's Psalm 37, verse 23 and verse 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. And so we have set before us in this opening foundational psalm the God-centered life and the God-void life. We have a man who centers his life in the Word of God, and, centered, and then a man who centers his life in the world. Now, now, let me ask you a couple questions. Which life would you rather live? If one produces fruit in its season, and the other is just blown away by every wind that comes along, what would be your choice? If one is stable and vital, but the other is unstable and there's no consequence, which one would you like to be like? Now, it's really not a hard question to answer, is it? All of us want a good reason to live and to live fruitful. All of us want to be valuable to others, especially to those we love. And so here's another question. What does it take? What does it take to be a blessed man who has God in his life as opposed to a wicked man who doesn't think about God at all. Well, I want you to hear me, and then I'm through. This psalm, I think, is a very practical psalm, okay? Next week, we're going to deal with practice, the way of the godly man. However, the practice cannot happen until the position changes. The contrast is blessed versus wicked, God-centered versus God-void. A God-centered life first begins with what we call justification by faith. In biblical terms, we say that salvation by grace through faith. Now, beloved, it means more than an awareness that you're a sinner worthy of condemnation, it means that you stand condemned before God and you know it. You begin to realize through the working of the Holy Spirit inside of your heart that your only hope is in God who justifies the guilty man. It is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is faith. Faith is not something you conjure up in your heart. Faith is objective. It is through the righteousness of of Jesus Christ, his righteousness, you begin to realize that you stand guilty. And it is through faith that you come to him and he declares you justified. He declares you not guilty. He calls you. He convicts you. He gives you repentance and faith. He converts you. And you respond to the grace and election of God in Christ. It's a beautiful call and reception 
it's eternal. And it is only then that you can begin to live the blessed life. It is only then the practical part of this psalm becomes real. You see, next week as we talk about the practice of a blessed man, it won't mean anything to you unless you're saved. Practical Christianity without positional Christianity is non-Christianity. I was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about the greatest challenge that is facing our churches today. And gang, listen, our churches are in trouble. you agree with that? Man, you read about our, our culture today, and you read across our nation today, and you see what's happening in churches today, and you see the struggle that's going on in churches today. We've got some real challenges. I, I think great opportunities, frankly, but some great challenges ahead of us. And so a group of us were talking, I was talking to one in particular, and we were talking about, what do you think the greatest challenge facing our churches in this culture is today? The greatest challenge facing America today. And I thought for a moment, I said, well, man, I could, you, know, you can name it, you can write a book, you know. But all of a sudden it hit me, the greatest challenge I think facing us today is unregenerate church members. I think our churches are filled with those who grew up in religion and heard all there is to say about religion and sang all the songs about religion and, and all of that, yet there's never been a transformation spiritually in their heart and in their mind. I want you to look at verse 6 and then, then I'm going to be through. Because something stung me late last night as I was getting ready to to, to settle down and set my clock forward like you guys, you know, and all that. And I just kept going over and over in my mind this psalm. And so I got up and I went up to my study, and, and, and I knew I wanted to start with verse 6. But there's a phrase that really grabbed hold of me. Look at the beginning of verse 6. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Over and over, I kept saying, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. And I asked myself, well, how does God know the way of the righteous? Well, as I thought about it, I said, well, he knows the way of the righteous because he sees how they live. He's watching what they do. He sees the motivation of their heart and then the, the actions of their heart. And I felt pretty good about that. Then all of a sudden I said, that can't be. That can't be. Because the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How does he know the way of the righteous? And so I began to trace that word righteous. And I'll tell you, when you go back a little bit, words have meaning and, and words travel. When you go back, you realize it's from a root word that means to make righteous. God knows the way of the righteous because God has declared them righteous. That's the sovereign grace of God. Gang, listen to me. Your best 
The very best you can be is still filthy rags. And you ought to look up the definition of that. Not at your worst. Not at your worst. At your best. When you're of sterling quality, when your light is shining, you're still, the Bible says, as a filthy rag. God doesn't look at you and say you're righteous because you come to church or because you sing some songs or because you work in the nursery and all those things. God says you're righteous through his sovereign grace. He declares you righteous. He makes you righteous. And now that you have become righteous, he sees you as righteous. And all dear people, that only happens through one person, not you, not me. That happens through Jesus. That happens through what Christ did upon the cross. The Lord knows the way of the righteous because they've been declared righteous by grace through faith. Now listen to me. Next week, we're going to unravel Psalm 1. We're going to talk about some practical things in the Christian's life and how the Christian should live. We're going to look at it negatively by some things we don't do, where we don't go, where we don't sit. We're going to look at it positively. We're going to contrast that again with, with the wicked who have no stability in their life. They're just like chaff that's blown away but it won't mean anything other than words to you. Unless you know that you have been convicted of your sin, drawn to Christ through grace, and you have been declared justified by faith through him. You see, I do think the greatest challenge facing our church today is unregenerate church members. I think we have a bunch. Maybe not at Indian Springs because we're all so sweet and kind. I know we're all saved, right? But I think our nation and I think Indian Springs have our percentages of those who really don't understand what positional Christianity is. And practical Christianity will never work until we understand positional Christianity. So here's my question. Let's bow our heads. Stu will be coming. Here's my, here's my question for us. Do you know that there was a time where the beautiful, loving Spirit of God convicted you of your sin, convicted you deeply of your sin, not just in a mental awareness, but a deep heart conviction and made you understand that if you were to die in that situation, that hell, eternal hell, would be your home. And yet through grace, you began to realize the beauty of what Jesus did. How that on a cross, he suffered. How that on a cross, he died for you. And maybe even strangely, maybe even allow me to say mystically because of what was going on. Someone was drawing you 
and you since realized it was God. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe it's happening right now. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We'll have a time of response. If God has spoken to your heart, then I will invite you to act on it. Father, I praise you for your goodness. God, I thank you that those who are saved are saved by gracious grace. And that's the only way. Now, God, if there's some here today that are wrestling with that question, not sure of their eternity, then, God, I pray you'll convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Jesus for the cleansing power.